Thanks for listening to Victory's podcast today. Connecting people to a life-changing relationship with Jesus is what we're all about. For more resources or to reach out to us, go to victorychristian.church. All right, are you all ready for the Bible today? All right. I'm going to open up this morning with 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. I've entitled this mo- the message this morning is called The Exchange. 1 Peter 2.9 says this, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness and into His wonderful light. Once, you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once, you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Would you say amen to that? Ain't that a blessing? Let's pray. Father, we love you today, and God, we thank you for your word and the power and the authority that is in your word. And today, Lord God, I pray, Father, would you just speak to us, Lord God? Would you speak to our hearts, Lord God, every single one of us? We just give you permission. We give you permission to go deep. We give you permission to uncover and remove and add uh, as you see fit. You are the Lord of our lives, and we give you permission to move today. We love you. Pray for, Lord, the empowerment and the leading of your Holy Spirit. Such a privilege to share your word, but God, I I just want to get out of the way and let you get in the way and, and, and do what you do. We love you, and I just pray that what's in your heart will be imparted today. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. In these verses that I read out of 1 Peter chapter 2, um, I opened up with this scripture that declares that you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. This is what scripture declares about you, the believer. Once you were not a people, but now you're the people of God. There's this exchange that has happened along the way, right? There's, there's an old life that has been exchanged for a new life. There's an old identity that's been exchanged for a new identity. There's this, there's this principle in Scripture that says, or that there are things that are, that are already, but not yet. Let me explain what I mean. There are things in Scripture, like it will proclaim things about you, that um, you, know, you are a, a holy nation, and you might have a day where you ain't feeling too holy. You know what I'm talking about? And the, the reality is there's things that God declares about you, but they are, and are true positionally, and yet we're still also receiving them and making them true. Already but not yet. Already, or another way to say it is, and still receiving that truth, still appropriating that truth, still making it true, still, still coming into the fullness of that truth. And there are days when you read a scripture like you're a chosen people and a, a royal priesthood and a holy nation and God's special possession. And there are days where maybe you're on the mountain and you're just like, I am feeling that. You know, Praise the Lord, I'm there, right? And there are other days where you're like, man, that doesn't feel like what I'm 
what, what's going on and what I'm seeing around in my life. And that we, we go, okay, God, how do I receive and walk in the thing that you've declared over me? And I want to I talk to you about that today because the process in which God is changing and transforming and maturing you is not a process that ends. You know, um, one of my sons just graduated high school, and the process of high school is over, and we rejoice, right? It's like, all right, that is done. Next, right? And you move on to the next thing. But in the process of the kingdom of God, God's never finished with you. And that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. That's a real blessing that he's never finished with you. I don't want him to finish with me. Why? Because he's doing a good work in me. Amen? And he's good about how he goes about it. It's not always comfortable. It's not always easy. But the outcome when I'm yielding to his leading and to his work is always good. Just like Matt was talking about in that, uh, that devotional for offering today. There are times when we are in situations and we're just like, I wouldn't wish this situation, but I know God's going to grow me in this circumstance. And he's going to make, he's going to bring something out of it. I want to share a scripture with you today that goes a little bit deeper into this concept of what I'm going to call the exchange, where God takes where you are in, in life and he exchanges it for something else. How many of you all out there would like some exchanges in your life? Like you'd like to trade some things in, maybe trade some sorrows, trade some trauma, trade um, some tough experiences, trade some things that are not healthy in your life. And you're like, I would like to trade because I know if I'm making the trade in the exchange of the kingdom of God, what's coming back is always going to be better. Amen? I got to tell you before I go into the this, this scripture that for the exchange to happen, you got to release the thing that he needs you to release, right? We're going to dig into that a little bit more as we go. So this scripture I'm going to read to you is in Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61 is an Old Testament prophetic scripture that's talking about Jesus and his ministry. As a matter of fact, in Luke chapter 4, Jesus stands up in a in temple And he unrolls a scroll with Isaiah 61, and he reads the first part of this. And when he finished reading it, he declares up to the point where it says, this is the year of the Lord's favor. The next part of the verse says, and the day of vengeance of our God. He was declaring, we're in the year of favor. He rolls it up, and he says, this scripture is fulfilled today in your midst. And it was like, oh. And they got really mad. (laughs) Because they were like, who do you think you are? And we know who think he thinks he is, and we know who he is, and amen. All right, so Isaiah 61 is this declaration about Jesus and the, and the ministry of exchange that he's bringing to your life. Are you ready for it? Wow, that was quiet. I want to hear you online. Are you ready for it? Thank you. Okay, Isaiah 61, verse 1. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He's talking about Jesus. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, and to comfort 
all who mourn, to provide for all those who grieve in Zion, and to bestow upon them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of His splendor. What a glorious piece of Scripture. I mean, what an amazing thing that we get to see in the heart of our God. He comes to bind up the brokenhearted. I love that Scripture. When you look into that idea of binding up the brokenhearted, it's the picture of God dressing a wound, like wrapping it, caring for it, and and healing the places in our hearts that are broken. You know, God has not called you to a perpetually broken heart. Some people need to hear that today. God has not called us to a perpetually or an ongoing, always broken heart. Our hearts are a gift because we can care and because we can feel and because we have emotion. It's not a curse to have a heart, but when you care, you're, you, can have a, you can end up having a broken heart. And that's a gift that's not a curse, but He comes to bind up the broken heart. He comes to dress that wound and to bring healing to your heart. For some of us, the brokenness of our heart, the trial or the struggle has become our identity. And what this scripture is saying is that your trial, your struggle, is not your identity. Sometimes we can have such a brokenness in our lives and such a, a broken hardness about a, a circumstance or something that's happened in our lives that it, it actually begins to define who we are. But what this scripture is saying is that Jesus comes to bind up the broken heart. He comes to dress that wound. He comes to heal it because it's not meant to be your identity. It's not who you are forever. He comes and he heals childhood experiences. And he comes to heal places where others have let you down. And, and, and um, he comes to heal those experiences where maybe you weren't in control and someone else is in control. And he comes to bring grace and, uh, and to bring healing and to restore you. And, you know, I've got to say, one of the attributes of our God is when we go through hard things, and I want to be real careful to say this, He cares about the hard things that people go through. It matters to Him. It counts. He takes account. However, He will not allow us to stay in a place of self-pity or for it to become our identity. He comes to bind up the wound, to heal the wound, to dress it, because He's a God who's bringing us to a place of health and wholeness. Amen? He comes to bring freedom to the captives, it says. Freedom from the thing that has captivated you, from the thing that has boxed you in, from the thing that has controlled you. Um, we, we move from a place of being powerless against things in, in life to a place where we are being empowered by God's Spirit. Sometimes those things are addictions. Sometimes those things are uh, sin in our lives that would that rule over us and we realize that the way that sin works is it wants to captivate and rule over us 
And what we find is that we can, by the Spirit and the power of, the, of God, we can not sin. We can turn from sin. And He gives us the power and the liberation to not do so. He can give you power over words that have been spoken over you that can captivate you, that can box you in and, and create a kind of a controlling thing. That one sentence, that one word, or that one, one thing that people said or thought and, and seems to have some kind of controlling power over you. He comes to set the captive free. And His Word becomes the Word we believe in, not that word or that sentence or that experience. Isn't God so good? It says He releases from darkness for the prisoners. Freedom from sin, freedom from shame, freedom from guilt. Aren't you thankful that the Lord doesn't keep you in a penalty box and say, you know what, I just want you to remember what you've done for a while. Actually, he says, actually, I, what I want to do is I want to forget what you've done. It says he removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. He doesn't hold our sins against us. He releases from darkness for the prisoners. One of the places when, I, when I'm looking at this scripture of this exchange, I was thinking like a New Testament um, example where I see Jesus doing this. And there's a story in John chapter 8 where Jesus encounters a woman who was caught in adultery. And it's a complicated situation because the adultery is sin, yet there's this group of elder men, if you will, religious rulers, who have gathered around to stone her or to, to ask Jesus, should we stone her? And they're, they're really... They don't really care about her. I don't think they even really cared about the sin. It was really about, Jesus, are you going to follow the law? Are you going to follow what you do and all that? You know how Jesus has a way of just like besting people? Like they think they're setting the rules to the game and he just kind of like, he just over, it's like he's smarter. Listen to the story. John chapter 8 verse 7 says, When they kept on questioning him, talking about Jesus, he straightened up and he said to him, to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. <laughs> Again, he, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with a woman standing there. Jesus straightened up and he asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No, sir. Not one, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declares. Go now and leave your life of sin. In this scripture, there's a lot going on. A lot of people have, have scripture doesn't tell us, but a lot of people have this theory that what Jesus was doing when he was stooping down and he was writing is that he was writing the sins of the older men around them. And he says to them, if you are without sin, then you cast the, right stone, cast the first stone. He's basically saying, well, if you're perfect and you're right and you're above reproach and there's nothing we can stone you for, then why don't you throw the first stone? And they say, we don't know, but you know that he was probably like writing their sin. The reason why people think that is because the older ones left first. They had a longer account. <laughs> one by one, 
They're leaving. Here's the significance of it. For a charge to be brought against someone under the law, it had to be brought by more than one witness, more than one person. And so as they're all leaving, there's no one left to proclaim the condemnation on her. And so what Jesus says is, where are they? They're all gone, Jesus. He says, neither do I condemn you. Go forth and sin no more. I wonder what it was like for her that day to have the judgment of the world and people around her looking down at her, ready and and really using her as a pawn. Like they didn't even really care in my mind. I, I don't think they really cared. And yet in that moment to see the grace and the love and the opportunity for just a new start and a new life and all of that. And I, when I see that story, I think there's this exchange that's happened. It makes me think he has come to bind up the brokenhearted. He's come to bring freedom to the captive. He's come to release from darkness for the prisoner. Like I feel like that's the moment that she had right there. The irony was, you know, they're just using her circumstance and her sin and what's going on in her life as a pawn against Jesus. But Jesus turns it to become an opportunity of release from darkness and captivity for her and freedom and to receive a love and a grace and an opportunity to move forward. Isaiah 61 verse 3, I, want to, I would like to read that again to you. It says this, it says, And to provide for those who grieve in Zion. You know, the thing about grief is um, if you live long enough, you're going to have a few opportunities, right? So the question is, what is, what is God's answer? What is his exchange for grief? And to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. See, ashes is how they mourned. They would put ashes on their head. And he's saying, I'm going to put beauty on your head rather than ashes. The oil of joy instead of mourning. What is the oil a type of? The type of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to come on your life and bring joy instead of mourning. A garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. You know, every time God brings an exchange... He gives you something better. And the question is, will we allow him to do it? Now, I got to tell you, it's a lot easier to read this scripture than it is to experience its fullness. What I mean by that is if you've really grieved, if you've really gone through some hard times or you've lost someone or, or been so disappointed, grief is can be a powerful, powerful thing. And here's the challenge, is that grief is not all bad. It's not like grief is the evil thing. As a matter of fact, I think we make a, a, a mistake when we look at all kinds of grief and sorrow as like something that we just need to box in and get rid of. I actually think that end, what we end up doing is bottling it up, and we can actually become physically sick because we haven't processed what's going on in our soul. Because, see, grief has its place. I, I know the, the point where I experienced the greatest grief and the most profound grief was when my mom passed away. I've never had pain in my heart like when my mama passed away. 
And part of the, that whole grief process was she was so valuable to me that there was great pain there. It was a natural part of the process. I lost and I was grieving a loss and grief is a way to process that. The thing is though, is that grief is not a final status of life. Grief is a way of processing things that have happened in your life. I remember when um, Elizabeth's dad passed away. Um, it was the year after my mom's passed away. My, my, and so we had lost a lot of pe- really important people in our lives. My mom had passed away. Uh, Julia had passed away. And then the following May, her dad had passed away. And it just kind of, you ever have one of those seasons where it just feels like it keeps coming? It was one of those seasons where it just like, just felt like it kept coming. And Elizabeth made this statement. She said, Mike, she said, life is hard. It was in the midst of the grief of losing her dad. And I, in that moment, the Lord, you know, sometimes like the Lord just gives you something that's way smarter than you are. And what he had me do was, he had, had me say to her, he says, yes, but this is not all of your life. And what it did is it acknowledged how difficult what we were walking through really was. But also acknowledged that that grief and that sorrow is, is not defining in perpetuity it forever and forever. Like it, it, is, it is a season of life, but it doesn't, it's not meant to be the thing that is forever. One of the most profound um, testimonies that I've heard of this recently, and uh, they'll have to forgive me for not, I meant to ask before I shared this, but I'm pretty confident it's not, and if not, I'll just get in trouble. Um, A couple years ago, we lost um, Dan Hall very suddenly. And um, there was a lot of things that made it such a really difficult situation. It was so sudden, so quick. And frankly, Dan and Linda had just gotten married. And we could not have been more happy and joyful for Linda and for Dan. I mean, everybody, it's one of those situations, you ever have those situations where everybody's happy about it? Like, you're just, everybody is just so happy. And then really quickly, Dan was gone, just in a matter of days. And um, and Linda was grieving very uh, significantly. And... (laughs) We're her friend, and we love her, and we just like, we get it. We're like, this is terrible. This is hard. And we're all just walking with Linda. And Linda shared this testimony again with us this week, and it was just so profound to me. She said that the, the grief had gone from, uh, moved to a place where it felt like it was a cloak or a, a blanket that she was wearing, but it was becoming part of her identity, she said she was in, in church on a Sunday morning and uh, we were worshiping. It didn't worship a great atmosphere. And Brenda shared a word that morning. She said, I believe that God wants some people here today to lay some things down. And immediately she knew by the Holy Spirit, Linda did, that what God wanted her to do was to lay that blanket of grief down. Now, what's important to understand is that when God does this, he isn't diminishing the love, the value, the importance, or anything of what we have walked through, any, any of that. That's not it. But 
what he's trying to do is he's trying to do an exchange because there is life in front of you and grief is not meant to define you. It's not meant to be your identity. It's a healthy process handled correctly. But we have to be careful because the enemy will tell us things and what that does is it will hem us in and define us. And it was just such a great, amazing exchange. And I have to tell you, just as Linda's pastor, the transformation that happened from that moment was so defined and significant. Now, if you were to talk to Linda today, would, you, would she say that there are days when she grieves that, that Dan's gone? Absolutely. I mean, I, there are days I, we all think about people that we love, who've passed. That's a natural type of thing. But see, God, he, he provides for those who grieve. And he gives you beauty instead of ashes. The oil of joy instead of mourning. And I know from personal experience that when you're in a place of grief, to say the oil of joy instead of mourning just feels like the greatest paradox ever. To say, the gar- to, to say a garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair sounds like the most foreign thing in the world. But I'm here to tell you that is God's word for us. And that He does that exchange. I hope I've been really careful in some of the things that I'm sharing with you because grief is not sin. Sorrow is not sinful. However, it is not your identity. And God doesn't want it to rule over your life where it becomes who you are. And for some of us, we need those moments where we take that thing and we give it to the Lord and give him permission to give us the beauty. Give him permission to give us the oil of gladness. Give him permission to give us the garment of praise. And to trust that it doesn't diminish the value of the person you love, the value of the thing that you have despaired for, the, the, val- the importance or the reality of what you have walked through. It's not about that. It's about that Jesus came to give you life. And he came to give you a full life. And a life where you can move forward and where you can prosper in him. It takes a great deal of maturity to not think of it in a real binary way. Well, we don't grieve and we just have joy. Or we, it takes maturity to go, there's this process here. And, and the reality is, for those of us who are more perfectionist oriented, it's an art, it's not a science. Like You just kind of like got to feel the edges. And sometimes you get it a little wrong on one side and you got to kind of course correct and that kind of thing. But the thing is, you got to just keep on moving forward and keep on putting it before the Lord and saying, God, will you give me that great exchange. I want to read this scripture to you again today, and here's how I want to pray for you today. I want you to know that there is an already and there is a not yet, right? There is an already that God has provided for your captivity. He has provided for the darkness. He has provided to bring you out of all of those things. And he has provided for the grief and he's provided for the sorrow and he has made a way. But in our lives, we have to keep on coming before him. And when we recognize, hold on, there's something here that shouldn't be here now. It shouldn't continue. Like it, it's, it has seen its time, right? Don't beat yourself up because it's still there. Run to Jesus. And bring it to him. Over and over and over and over again. And the thing is, 
the exchange that he has for you. This is what it is. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Today, if there's a place in your heart that needs healing, a place in your heart that needs a bandage from the Lord, he's come to bind up the broken heart, to carefully bring healing to it, to bring freedom to the captives. Is there something that is captivating you? Nothing is meant to captivate you except for him. A release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who grieve in Zion, and to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair. I really believe today there's, there's some people today that are saying, I need to run to it. I need to run to that joy and I need to run to that garment of praise and I need to run to that place where God can provide that exchange for me. Would you stand with me? I'd like to pray for, for us online, here in the service, listening to the podcast. I want to pray for you right now. Father, we come before you. Oh, you are so capable. So capable. Come, Lord. Father, anything that we've held on to. Right now, we just, we open up our hands and we just say, Father, come, do your exchange. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, mighty God. Thank you, God. Lord, we, oh, we love you today. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord has come. Holy Spirit, have your way. I just believe right now, God, you're taking some weights off of people. I believe there's people today, they didn't know that they didn't have to carry it anymore. And today they're laying it down. And laying it down doesn't dishonor, but it brings freedom. Oh, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. No longer bound to sin. Oh, God, we thank you for the freedom that you bring. I pray for grace for those who felt like in an area that they're struggling in the darkness and something has captivated them. I pray for the grace and the mercy. Just like you showed the woman uh, caught in adultery, God, you showed her grace and mercy and you gave her an opportunity, Lord. Let people feel that, that opportunity coming before them of you just saying, come on, rise, go forth, sin no more. You, Lord, you have released us from darkness. You are bringing freedom to the captives. We love you today. We worship you today. And we proclaim, God, we believe. We believe 
that you have made us a royal priesthood, a chosen people, a holy nation. God, that once we weren't a people, but, but you are snatching us out. You're pulling us out. And God, we're your people and we are so proud to be yours. We are so proud to be yours. Let a, a freedom come. Let a grace come. Let a heaviness melt away. We thank you for freedom. We thank you for joy. And we thank you for the gift of praise. We love you, Father. We honor you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks again for listening. If you'd like to connect with us, or if you'd like to know how you can give, go to victorychristian.church. Have a great day.